0: Welcome to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden, primary care physician and acute care hospitalist at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis, where we cover the latest in health, healthcare, and what matters to you. And now, here's our host, Dr. David Hilden.
1: Hey, everybody, it's Dr. David Hilden, and this is episode nine. Today we are going to talk about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder ADHD with psychiatrist Dr. John Wormager. He is a colleague of mine here at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis. Dr. Wormager, thanks for being on the show.
2: Hey, thank you for having me.
1: It's great to have you here today and let's just start us out right away. What is ADD? What is ADHD and is is there a difference?
2: Well, that's a really good question. In the old days, we used to kind of specify between ADD and ADHD. Now, because people like me are psychiatrists and we try to keep it simple, everything is ADHD, but we discuss it a little bit like inattentive type, combined subtype, or hyperactive subtype.
1: So there's subtypes of ADHD. So what does it Correct. stand for? Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. Correct. What are the symptoms of that?
2: ADHD has, you know, there are kind of two main families of symptoms. The first subgroup, so to speak, are the ones you usually think about, the inattentive symptoms. These are the ones that uh, get people in trouble, not immediately at school, but a little bit later down the road. For example, not paying attention. When someone is given a, a request by a parent or a teacher, it takes them while they don't process it immediately very quickly. They don't follow through on what they say they will do, not because it's an onerous job, just because they get to a point and they forget about doing what they were doing. Multi-step tasks also are very, very difficult. Is it always in children? No, no. It's uh, This is often where we see it in children because each time as academic or intellectual rigor goes up a little bit, like kindergarten to first grade, uh, upper elementary, middle school, high school, and so on, or from high school to college, high school to job, job, every time that goes up, that's when we notice that people seem to just have this difficulty with staying on task. Are
1: kids, do they know they're doing it? Or, or are they just, are they what we used to call spacey kids? They're just not paying attention.
2: So for the most part, its it's not a willful thing. It's not like a malevolent thing. It's just they get distracted. You know, the stereotypical... You know, you're talking to someone, and you look out the window and go, "Oh, squirrel!" And that's what happens. It's just people with ADHD they won't return back to the topic they that they were previously on. Not because they don't want to; it's just because they've moved on. They've got something else they want to do, or they're thinking about, or something else they need to do.
1: That's the inattentive part. You said there's another presentation, another type of symptom.
2: Yeah, there's the um, hyperactive, impulsive part, and this is kind of what is more. You know, whereas the inattentive stuff is what gets people in trouble at work or at school later on down the road when there's an. Evaluation, the hyperactive impulsive part, that is what gets you in trouble immediately. The inability to stay still where they just keep moving. It's almost like sometimes it's not even they're talking so much. It's as if a wall of sound follows behind them. They, they just you know, they sit down noisily. They're tapping their feet. They're tapping their hands. Uh, they can't wait their turn. They're interrupting, butting in line. It's just—it's it's very difficult for them to keep their body quiet. They just keep moving.
1: I bet most of us can think of a kid like that, either with both of those things, the inattentive part or the hyperactivity part. Do we know what is actually going on
2: in the brain? Not specifically, but we have some ideas. Kids with ADHD—and I'm focusing mostly on kids, but this can extend to adults— Most development, you know, it's sort of, as you develop, your brain develops, often will go from the back part, like cerebellum, you know, visual centers, and go forward to the frontal cortex. Frontal cortex is what we call the association cortex. It's where you add different pieces of information together to come up with some kind of
1: planning. Kind of that higher level function, that
2: planning function. So with kids with ADHD, the frontal part develops somewhat more Mm -hmm. slowly. And this is just, you know, we all develop and we all mature very differently. But the frontal cortex in people with ADHD develops later. Also, there are some – we think there are some difficulties with a particular transmitter, the dopamine neurotransmitter, that is. And either the um, signal doesn't get through, it is not transmitted as efficiently in the brain, it's not loud enough, you could say. So you've kind of got these structural issues, you've got these chemical issues, and you've also got some genetic issues. You know, if it's – I was reading something like heritability – If both parents have ADHD or a monozygotic twin has ADHD, there's a very high heritability, like 75% in the monozygotic twins, you know, identical twins. Identical twins, yeah. And with parents, yeah, I I don't think the heritability is quite that high, but it is one of those things.
1: I bet there's a whole bunch of people listening right now that are nodding their heads. Oh, yeah, that sounds like my kid (laughs) or that sounds like um, my kid's friend at school. But how do we know when it's a pathologic process or something that needs attention Versus my kid's just easily distracted. I mean, when does it become something that someone like you, a psychiatrist, gets involved?
2: Yeah, that's that's a good point. And kind of the the very short answer is when it causes trouble. And sometimes it may not be recognized immediately because some of these kids, they do school well. They do their job well. And they kind of coast through. And then all of a sudden, they hit this higher level of intellectual rigor or – procedural rigor, and all of a sudden they just hit a wall and they can't do it anymore. The engine's overheated and the wheels come off. It's uh, generally one of those things where we all have some of it. I mean, I always joke, you know, I made the mention about, you know, people will say, oh, I saw a squirrel and that's why it got me distracted. You know, one time I was sitting in my office asking a kid these questions that we will ask and (laughs) they were making our, uh, they were rather rebuilding our PICU. And all of a sudden, the uh, uh, porta potty just goes lifting up in the air, and of course, you're going to look at a porta potty floating out your window. It's just not something oh, you see Oh, it see was every like day. in the window
1: because it. Yeah. was like, I'll look it out at a construction
2: site. Okay, yeah, it was okay. like seven floors up, and so it, yeah, that's not pathologic. That's just yeah, I might have um, looked at that too. It was it was something, but uh, when it starts causing problems, it, often we'll see the parents say, "Oh, this kid just doesn't listen," or the teacher will say something like, "You know, this person is very bright, but I just don't get it." They're they're work is terrible, their handwriting is awful because there are some other, you know, sort of neuropsychological, neuropsychiatric and so-called neurological soft signs that accompany ADHD. So these things in concert will often bring it to usually first a teacher's attention or the parent's. A
1: little bit later in the show, I'm going to ask you quite a bit more about how is it diagnosed and how is it treated? Because so many people are interested in you know, is it medications and, and how do you even know? But before we get to that, I want to ask you just a little bit more about the, the illness in general. I'm going to
2: start out with this. How common is it? It's predominantly considered what's uh, what's termed a neurodevelopmental illness. You know, it's something that we see earlier in age. So we see up to about seven to eight percent in the U.S. for those you know school aged eighteen and unders. It depends on the area of the country you're from and whether this is diagnosis, whether this is. Genes, I'm not sure, but for example, in the southern, southeastern parts like Louisiana or Kentucky, often school age kids will be somewhere around 10 to 12 percent of kids are diagnosed with ADHD. Whereas in the West, Nevada and California, sometimes it's more like 5 percent. But kind of the average that's agreed on in the U.S. is seven to eight percent.
1: Is that going up? Because I have the sense that it's going up, but is that true?
2: It is going up. I think some of it is because the population is going up. Some of it is because we have more knowledge. We see more things about about, you know, this could be ADHD, and people are realizing that this isn't just a, a naughty kid. This isn't just someone who isn't trying. Often, they're trying really hard, and they're getting frustrated because they just can't pay attention.
1: You brought up the term, this isn't just a naughty kid. I bet you have heard, and as I have, many people have said something like, okay, I know what these kids are like. They're just naughty kids, and now you're putting this medical label on it, and you're putting drugs in them, and you're treating kids and adults forevermore. They're just misbehaving. What do you say to that?
2: a diagnosis does not give you the you know for example if you have adhd that doesn't give you the right to steal a car or do something like that that doesn't give you the right to be sarcastic to someone but it does make it much harder to kind of rein in those responses so this is often a kid that is trying very hard to do well in class in all aspects social as well so maybe they blurt something out because they think it's going to be funny and that's going to earn them kind of some you know class clown points or they blurt out an answer first because they're trying to impress the teacher Kind of the corollary to that is, well, how come my kid can play video games so well? It's because ADHD is like the perfect video game magnet. Kids with ADHD do lots of things, not at a super deep level, but on a superficial level very well, and video games are perfect for that. You've got a million things going on at the same time. And they can handle that, but if you sat them down and say, okay, I want you to solve this calculus problem, that can feel like torture because it's you're doing the same thing, very rigorous, very precision-oriented. This just isn't how these kids are set up, and, and it's often misinterpreted as naughty.
1: I want to delve into that more, John, the video game and screen connection. Is it more the case that, Kids with ADHD, whether diagnosed or not, are just simply better at screens, kind of like what you have talked about, or is it that the screens itself promote the condition? Which came first?
2: Good question again. Kids with ADHD are better at screens. And because this is something they're good at in a world of many other things that they're told that they're not good at, they stick with it. They run with it. So it's like, yes, I can do. I can play Call of Duty all night because here I'm a superstar. But at, at high school, I, I, I look like someone who's just having a lot of difficulty, someone who's not paying attention, someone who's not good enough. So there is sort of that egocentric aspect of it because it is it's very it, there are issues with addiction which is an entirely different thing some people they they drift into this electronic world but also the world is changing i mean kids communication now is so much more digital there's so much more going on like with social media we're in the age of you know i was listening to cnn we're in the age of the 24 hour news cycle anything you want to find out you'll find out now and in many ways this is great for an adhd brain but it also reinforces that instant gratification and that lack of frustration tolerance if I can't figure this out now I'm going to move on to the next thing that I can figure out. Social media also has its pitfalls because there's still this issue with responding before thinking adequately through a response. So as we've seen there's you know there's all sorts of things in the in the news today about social media and its impact on on the mental health of people especially adolescent and younger women.
1: And many of us you know, who use social media, I, I think it, it, it we seem to have the attention span of a gnat. You know, <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, true. You know, everything is, is in short little bursts. I wonder, what is the effect on a developing kid's brain or a young adult's brain who might have ADHD when you're never required to do anything that takes longer than 10 seconds with your two thumbs on your phone? Is there an effect, I wonder?
2: Yes, I do think there's an effect. Yeah, and it, it's interesting you bring this up, and I hope I'm not going, off topic, but a lot there's a lot of these brain training things that you can buy online now. And I, I really wish that these would end up to be fruitful because this feeds right, it goes right to what kids with ADHD feel reinforced with. The problem is if you're constantly reinforcing that instant gratification, you're not reinforcing the deferred gratification. And that can be really problematic.
1: We're talking with Dr. John Wormager. He is a psychiatrist seeing adults and children here at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis. And we're talking about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask Dr. Wermager about how do you diagnose this thing and how is it treated. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. Got a question or comment for the doc? Email us at healthymatters at hcmed.org or give us a call at 612 873 TALK. That's 612 873 8255. And now let's get back to more healthy conversation.
1: And we're back with Dr. John Wermager, a psychiatrist and colleague of mine here at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis. Before I get into a diagnosis of ADHD, John, I want to ask you about the prevalence uh, in men versus women. Is there a difference?
2: There most definitely is, and that's a a great point. And it's very interesting because up until about the age of seven, it's pretty even, boys and girls. But then once you get past the age of seven, the prevalence of those who were born um, biologically male is much higher than those who were born biologically female. It's anywhere from, you know, for every one biological female female to 1.6. Some people even say one to three. So there is two or three to one. Yeah, it's really something. Do we know why that is? That I don't know. I mean, that would be a great thing because a lot of these kind of what are called externalizing illnesses are more, you know, there are some illnesses that are for some reason manifest more in men. And these are usually what we used to call externalizing, you know, conduct issues, oppositional defiant issues. Whereas there are some other issues that are considered more prevalent in women, such as anxiety and depression. We don't exactly know why. It would be a great, oh my goodness, it would be a great story. The role of cortisol and estrogen and testosterone and development. But that is uh, that is something that I will leave to my friends at the University of Minnesota. Yeah, who are far some, smarter than me. Hopefully,
1: somebody's <laughs> researching that. That's a great, great. Uh, it's a bit of an unknown. It sounds yeah. like. How about one more one more thing that's been on my mind? What about diet? Does what kids eat matter?
2: You know, this is funny because the data used to really not say too much of it. But uh, again, if you're filling your tank with junk, it's not going to last long. You're going to burn off that energy. And my wife swears that when we give our kids nothing but sugar, or rather when I give our kids nothing but sugar. It's only
1: you. I'm sure your wife yeah. <laughs> only gives them kale and tofu.
2: <laughs> but, no, it's uh, you, yeah. there is something to be said there. So, And it brings up a good point. I mean, some kids, these may be triggers. Some kids, if it's, there's a ton of caffeine in it, you bet they're going to be bouncing off the walls.
1: Same with the sugar. That, yeah. that causes a little bit of a sugar high, doesn't
2: it? Absolutely. And a, and a sugar crash that can look like, you know, can look like irritability, can look like, and like we're going to talk about in a little bit, I guess, it, it can look like the medicine wearing off too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, but there's not a known direct causality between what you eat.
2: Not anything strong. It's more kind of the general.
1: Okay. Let's shift gears. Let's talk about how it is diagnosed. So first of all, who should be tested or screened?
2: Well, anybody that's having a lot of trouble in school, in their workplace, they should think about getting the screened. especially if there's a strong, you know, if mom and dad both have ADHD, if brother or sister have ADHD, some sibling. And they're starting to see the same problems, not listening in class, despite the fact that they can recite to you Chaucer, they still can't write their ABCs, you know, kind of these discrepancies that you notice between – sort of their intellectual capacity and their school performance or their job performance. And sometimes it's listening to the teachers. sometimes it's a job or a supervisor that brings this up later on in life.
1: So could it be at any age that you should yes. be initially looked at? I, I I heard somewhere that if you're a 35-year-old person, you've never been diagnosed with this in the past, it might not be this. Is that a myth?
2: You know, that that used to be kind of considered, you know, people considered ADHD like asthma. It just sort of burns out as you get older. Well, right. in fact, the matter is it doesn't and a lot of people, especially if you grew up in a very structured sort of environment, you did not have that that flexibility. People just said, no, you just need to work harder. Those people figured out a way. I mean, and you will figure out a way to get this stuff done. But then you finally hit a brick wall. So yeah, we're fine. It's interesting because if you look around the world, adult ADHD is diagnosed way more than it is here in the US. But the, uh, the converse is true for kiddos. We, our, our rates are much higher than even kind of what you would consider Canada or comparable country.
1: Let's talk about how it is diagnosed. So somebody comes in to see you. What do you do?
2: Well, there's several things that you can do. They all sort of work and feed together. The first is just a good clinical interview. You go down what are called the DSM-5 criteria for the inattention, for the hyperactive impulsive. And if they meet so many of these criteria by the age of 12, okay, that's a very, very strong indicator that we have ADHD. There are also tests that you can do. For example, in school, there are tests are called the Vanderbilt or the Connors or similar that often there's a teacher report you send to the teacher. They send it back, a parent report, and a child self-report. And then these data are compiled together. If those are both kind of suggesting, there are also more detailed neuropsychological tests, and these are focused on um, continuous performance. And the most most common ones, one is called the TOVA or the Test of Variable Attention, or the Connors CPT, Continued Performance Test, in which basically you're in front of a computer and you have to trigger the computer when you notice some kind of a difference.
1: Does ADHD go along with other mental health diagnoses, or is it often diagnosed just in isolation?
2: No, it is highly, highly comorbid, as we like to say. It's mm-hmm. high. You know, there are so many things associated with it, and it the, in many ways this will guide your treatment. I mentioned something, you know, you've got a predominantly male profile, so you also have predominantly male things like what we call oppositional defiant disorder, conduct disorder. Substance use issues are highly comorbid. Now, this isn't like, oh my gosh, this isn't like a death sentence that you're headed towards these things. It just means, you know, if you're having trouble staying focused and you're more likely to seek out the thrilling thing, you do have to be careful about it. Other things that we notice, and when you think about it, it makes sense like 30 to 40% of kiddos with ADHD also have anxiety. 10 or so percent of them, 10 to 20, depending on the studies, have depression. A lot of kiddos also have autism. A lot of people have comorbid tics. And then when you look at a certain subset of tics, you know, Tourette's, combined motor physical tics, the the rate is even higher. So yeah, it's highly comorbid.
1: Before I ask you to talk to us about treatment specifically, I want to ask you about what happens if it's not treated? What is the consequence of undiagnosed and untreated ADHD?
2: Well, first, it makes the kiddo's life much harder. Kids with undiagnosed or untreated ADHD are much more likely to like, get in traffic accidents, to not perform to their potential. Or even if you're not looking at potential and all these other highfalutin things, if you're looking at something more like just enjoyment, You know, finding a job that they like to do. Maybe they want to be a computer programmer, but they just can't keep it together for periods of time. So their their overall satisfaction with life is generally not as good. That being said... The brain will find a way. The brain will find ways of coping. And if it's something that you really like doing, people can, but it will be much harder. It will take much more time, and many people will become discouraged, or it's just less enjoyable for them. I think that's an important point.
1: I'm really glad you mentioned that. So, John, most of us have heard of drugs like Ritalin and Adderall. And so let's talk about treatment.
2: So... There was a study, I believe it was 2003, 2004, called the MTA, which was a multi-site study that shows, hey, what treatment works best, community treatment, therapy, or medication? If you have just what I call just straight ahead rocking ADHD, you know, no comorbidities, no nothing, medicine was considered the treatment of choice. The first medication that people use is about 75% effective. It may not bring you all the way to where you want to be, but it helps. If you have to go to a second medication, then it's like 90% effective. So the meds are very, very effective. There's also just some degree of therapy. Behavioral therapies are very helpful for kids. Behavioral therapies focusing on how does a parent respond to a kid, like going back to what you had said earlier, this isn't necessarily a naughty kid, but this is a kid that needs to make some better choices. So it's not, you know, if they got halfway done, with a particular project at home, the parent redirects them to that. And part and parcel with that is reward. I mean, it can't just be all negative stuff. You know, like, hey, if you get this stuff done, like a star chart, for example, you get a star, you get so many stars, you get a small reward, you get so many small rewards, you get a big one. These are great things that people can do. So, Is that
1: what you mean by therapy? Like just what parents can do in the home? Or are you talking about a psychologist or a psychiatrist such as yourself?
2: Both. I mean, it, it focuses on the whole family system. But yeah, there are some things, there are some behavioral type treatments where the um, kiddo will, you know, will go in to see the therapist, the therapist will work with them on behavioral plans. Like, okay, you know that immediately after school you're too wiped out but by 6 o'clock you've got hockey what can you do between 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. to get your work done or what can you what do you need to do to prepare for that other therapies are also very helpful especially if there are comorbid things like anxiety now with anxiety and ADHD, treating that other comorbid illness, whether it's anxiety, depression, what have you, it is so much more helpful. And that group in that MTA study actually did better than just medicine. Is that what cognitive behavioral
1: therapy is, CBT, or is that a specific type of therapy?
2: there is something called there's a parental therapy PCIT that talks about the interaction between parents and children but that's you know when you're talking specifically about kids there are some cognitive therapies cognitive therapies are great for a wide variety of things you know it kind of teaches you to take this out and think of it very factually okay you didn't take care of the dog. The dog created a mess. You clean up the mess. No harm, no foul. You're not a bad person, but that's what happens. So yeah, the behavioral therapies can be very helpful, and you know, behavioral therapies are often they have the reinforcers like the so-called star chart or or, or rewards.
1: Let's go back to medications because that's on a lot of people's oh, yeah. minds, and people are a little freaked out about them because these are the first line treatments, or at least the ones that people have heard of. That go under the brand names. I do have to say these are brand names. I always yeah. like to say that Ritalin and Adderall are brand names, for stimulants. I mean, basically, they're forms of amphetamines. Those two words alone make people nervous. How do they work? Why do they even work? And are they, what are the downsides?
2: Way back in 1937, I think it was, they were doing a study on... I think it was pneumoencephalograms or something barbaric and terrible where they were taking these kids because it was America in the 1930s and they didn't care as much about, about we rights. We did stuff to people. We did stuff to people and they would use a version of these medicines called Benzedrine, but they didn't use it for focus. They used it to help calm the kids down. After the study was all said and done, you know, the kids wanted to stay on the medicine because they could focus and that kind of led to the, these studies. What they do is they work on the dopamine receptor. So there are two main receptors associated, not to get all science nerdy, but there are two main receptors we think about Oh, I'm a nerd, John <laughs> Attaboy. boy um, There are two main receptors, the norepinephrine and the dopamine and So think about a, a, an informational signal going through Kind of an oversimplification, but a way that I like to think Norepinephrine, if you crank that up, that cranks up the signal strength If you use dopamine, that's like Dolby, that reduces the noise These medicines help to do these things You start out at a very low dose. The problem is anytime you work with dopamine, there are also things that are involved. Dopamine helps with attention. Dopamine helps with mood. Dopamine also helps with movements. In fact, many of the basal ganglia, they used to think that, hey, these are only involved in movements and they like, oh, wait, no, this is information processing too. And it all goes together. So you've got the frontal lobe, the connection to the kind of deeper basal ganglia and the cerebellum. I mean, there are all these connections, and what this does is it potentiates those connections between those areas such that the kids can function better. Some of it has to do with planning. Some of it is even like when you talk about frontal lobe to cerebellum, you're talking about motor planning, and that goes back to the earlier thing. Why are kids with ADHD so noisy? Yeah, (laughs) the
1: wall of sound. but.
2: But isn't a
1: stimulant wouldn't that be I mean, at the face of it, that sounds like it would make your hyperactivity worse. Your fidgety kids gonna get worse. But that doesn't happen.
2: Why? This is again maybe oversimplification, but this is what helped me through med school is it simulates the part of the brain that puts the brakes on. It stimulates the oh, part of the good. brain that helps you stay focused on what's important at that time.
1: This is an oversimplification, but is caffeine a mild version of the same thing? Because it's well known that college kids do better on their tests if they had a f- pot of coffee.
2: It is. It's uh, it, there's not as much dopamine, so it's a little different. Nicotine certainly does, and we know there are nicotine receptors all over the brain. Now, I don't advocate smoking because the the risk is so much. Oh my gosh, it's not even. But it's that same show.
1: stuff about stimulation exactly can be helpful for these kinds of things. Exactly what 's the downside are these addictive medications
2: they are for instance they are, but it's, it 's I, I like to use this with my my patients if you came in if I was if I was you, Dr. Hilton, and someone came in with a broken arm i wouldn 't say, "Oh no, opiates for you because they potentially are addictive. No, they have to be watched, and there are certain things that you have to watch for so there it is addiction, but that is actually i 'll be honest, the least of my worries, not mm. because i 'm cavalier it 's just because I watch these and there are lots of other things like the the PMAP program, which we monitor all of the prescriptions that go out. If someone is using too many, we find out about it. So
1: addiction isn't your biggest concern about these. Is there a concern with these stimulant medications?
2: Yeah. Weight loss is a big, big one. And, i well, I, correction, I don't mean to be cavalier about addiction. It is, you know, in certain aspects. But that's where you screen out and you really look for ADHD. But what we also find is some people with ADHD, if they especially are kind of a thrill seeker, you treat that early, there's less risk of addiction too. You know, and it depends on the person. Some people say if you treat kids earlier, there's less risk of addiction. Some say if you treat later, I think it's just person by person. But the other things that I worry about much more in my office are, as I mentioned earlier, there's, you know, dopamine works on movement and it can cause ticks. These are just these very quick motor movements like coughing, clearing your throat, blinking your eyes. They can be permanent. They're usually not. Usually you stop the medicine, the tics go away. And tics are, you know, you see them in the environment as well, even without stimulants. So that's one thing. It can, because it is a stimulant, it can drive your heart really hard. So if you have a kiddo that has a history of some cardiac issues, yeah, you probably want to get an EKG or talk to their primary or a cardiologist before starting a stimulant or monitoring those things. It does cause weight loss. Several times it will cause weight loss. And that can be an issue in and of itself. These kiddos, you know, you don't want to have like a human skeleton kid walking around Mm -hmm. because that can lead to its own sort of social ostracization.
1: Do you find any stigma for kids who are either with the diagnosis or when other kids find out they're on one of these medications?
2: In the old days, yes. Now, not so much. Good. You know, the nice thing is many of these medicines, both Adderall and Um, Ritalin come in longer acting forms. And with the longer acting forms, you don't have to go to the nurse's station in the middle of the day. You take one in the morning and it's good for most of the day. So that has been, that's been helpful. But I think there's just so many things now that people are kind of awakening to saying, hey, you know what? I'm not gonna make fun of this kid because they have asthma. Same thing.
1: No big deal. Yeah. Before I let you go, could you answer this?
2: Does it get better over time? I think people get better at dealing with it. A lot of it is people learn ways of coping with it. I think what we do notice is that the hyperactivity and the impulsivity goes way, way down and that causes less social stigma. So yeah, that does get better. But I think, you know, a lot of people, they just kind of, you know, they've got this. They learn how to work it. Much the same as somebody with asthma would, would not go to a very polluted town or stay, out, stay inside during a you know, weather warning type of day. It's the same kind of a thing.
1: That's actually reassuring to me. That there, there is good news. People do live happy, productive lives um, with their ADHD.
2: Oh, it, yeah. It doesn't define who you are. It doesn't even say how smart you are. I tell the kids, this is just attention. We can work on this.
1: John, thank you for being
2: here. Thank you for having me.
1: We've been talking with Dr. John Wermager, a psychiatrist and colleague of mine here at Hennepin Healthcare in downtown Minneapolis. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, John, and thanks for shedding some light on this important topic. Listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and if so, I hope you'll leave us a review, download, and subscribe to the podcast. And I hope you'll join us for our next episode. In the meantime, be healthy and be well.
0: Thanks for listening to the Healthy Matters Podcast with Dr. David Hilden. To find out more about the Healthy Matters podcast or browse the archive, visit healthymatters.org. Got a question or a comment for the show? Email us at healthymatters at hcmed.org or call 612-873-TALK. There's also a link in the show notes. And finally, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review and share the show with others. The Healthy Matters podcast is made possible by Hennepin Healthcare in Minneapolis, Minnesota and engineered and produced by John Lucas at Highball. Executive producers are Jonathan Comito and Christine Hill. Please remember, we can only give general medical advice during this program and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your physician if you have a more serious or pressing health concern. Until next time, be healthy and be well.